Well, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter. Find Hebrews and take a hard right. I was thinking this morning as I was uh, being introduced to several guests and visitors with us, and we love guests at Mission Road Bible Church. So thankful you're here. That for you to walk in today, it makes me smile in my heart because it's much like walking in to the middle of a movie. And, And there's been a lot that's gone before today, and there's things happening after today. And you've caught us in a place that if this is the only thing you heard, you might say, what in the world is that church about? And yet, I can tell you very simply that our church is about believing every word of the Bible to be true Every word of the Bible to be without stain or error. Every word of the Bible to be profitable. And what we're looking at in the passage before us deals with a wife's role, a Christian wife's role in the home. Specifically, today, how a wife can and should submit to an unbelieving husband or even one who is being disobedient. Now, in order to get a running start, and and I really do mean we need a running start into this passage, I need to go all the way back to verse 11. So I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs that are critical to understand the flow coming into the first few verses of chapter 3. In 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. In other words, be different than the world around you. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, what's interesting about that as a context is when we get into the nitty-gritty of divine ordained and ordered biblical femininity, in a very real sense, this has happened culturally and continues to happen. Namely, that in the very thing we want to do as right, we are slandered as evildoers. And then we find a series of submits. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, And the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That principle will will play full in a wife's submission as well. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves to God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, you be submissive to your masters. With all respect, this is an employer and an employee relationship in our culture. Not only to those who are good and gentle, those are the easy people to submit to, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But... If when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Now, in the middle of all this discussion about submission, Peter interjects an amazing few verses on Christology, the doctrine of Jesus. 
For you have been called for this purpose, that is enduring suffering because you're doing right. That's the context. Hear hear that? You're doing what's right and enduring persecution and suffering for doing what's right. That's the purpose you've been called for. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually like straying sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, with Christ as an example, Peter says, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and your respectable behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And you husbands, in the same way, there's our phrase again, live with your wives according to knowledge, with all understanding, as with a weaker vessel, someone weaker since she is a woman, to show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. From its very beginnings, from the day our Lord walked on this earth, died and was resurrected to the right hand of the Father, Christianity has always been under extreme scrutiny. And the scrutiny has been manifested by the fact that Christians have been, and listen, are now constantly under surveillance. You're being watched. You're being watched by the people around you. You're being watched by your family that lives in your home. You're being watched by your neighbors. You're being watched by your coworkers. You're being watched by the people on the soccer field and the swim meet. You're being watched by people all the time. And you're being watched with an extreme eye of scrutiny if they know you claim to be a Christian. And this is nothing new. This happened in day one after the resurrection and the church was established, the Holy Spirit given to Christ's bride. We are always being watched And the Bible spends a lot of ink to make the point that we are all examples. We're all role models. Specifically reflecting what a Christian really is. 
Paul described this fact to the Philippians. He says, do all things without grumbling. This is Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom, among whom you appear as lights to the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. When he says do all things without grumbling or disputing, those are two words that come together to mean do everything in your Christian experience, get this, without complaining. Complaining is a deep spiritual problem. Why bring that up? The example, the scrutiny? Because we are witnessing a wholesale selling out in many circles of evangelicalism, of people who would surprise you to say that the biblical role of a man and the biblical role of a woman is passe. It's, it's spent his time in the spotlight. It was for the first century and the 1950s, but no longer has application in our day. However, this issue of living under surveillance is attached to how we live as men and women in our marriages. People are watching. People are waiting. So much so that God actually wrote through the, the, the scroll and the pen, the quill of Paul, that to see a Christian marriage rightly is for the world to see and witness the gospel. And to see the gospel rightly is to understand how marriage works. We've said it over and over. It's the only reciprocating analogy in the New Testament. In other words, as you're reading Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, Paul is saying, here's what marriage is like. Here's what the gospel is like. Marriage illustrates the gospel. The gospel illustrates marriage. Nevertheless, back and forth. And finally, he says, yes, I'm talking about both. At the heart of that, is an issue that we find in every Christian's life. It's the issue of submission. It's the foundation of our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. We are his servants. He is the creator. We are his creatures. Therefore, we live in submission to him. However, submission is not limited to our relationship with God. We are called to be submissive to others whom God directs us. We just read that whole previous paragraph to chapter 3 on purpose. The theme of submission has been explained since verse 11 in Peter's epistle. He instructs readers to submit yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He applies it to civil government. He applies it to employee-employer relationships, servants and masters. And now he applies it to wives and husbands. Now the context of 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7 raises the question of men and women's roles again. And we need to look carefully at this because this has a nuance that we, we hinted at last week we need to observe today. Now, just to give you a head start, and I'm going to do something I typically don't do. Uh, I, I'm going to show you all of my points, and then we're only going to do one today. So I, I know, I know we're only going to do one. But... Uh, um, if you could throw those up, Teresa, just for a second. Five pictures of a godly woman's femininity. This whole passage is going to talk about femininity. 
She is submissive in her marriage. She is respectable in her behavior. She is purposeful in her adornments. She is biblical in her imitation. And she is vulnerable in her role. These are all descriptors of biblical femininity that that Peter lays out for a godly woman and a godly wife. But that all flows out of that first point. She is submissive in her marriage. The context, again, is Peter is saying, you're going to submit, you're going to submit sometimes to authorities that fail in the government, in your servant and master relationship, employee-employer, just as Jesus was submissive to a wicked, evil government, a wicked, evil religious system that ultimately executed him, but God had a great, greater purpose. And he showed the world, the true character of his son at the highest point in his suffering and his difficulty in submitting to authority that failed. What is femininity? It's kind of the same as we said uh, 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 masculinity is. Masculinity is calling men to be a man and not a boy and a man and not a woman. Femininity is calling ladies to be a woman in contrast to a young girl, to mature, and a woman in contrast to a man, true femininity. This passage outlines elements of femininity that are so instructive. Now, I think it's interesting if you look at every single time the New Testament addresses the issue of wives, every single time... Peter and Paul, the primary writers of these uh, admonitions, bring up the issue that a woman is to be submissive to her husband. Ephesians 5.22, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Titus chapter 2 verse 6, urge the young women to be sensible in all ways to show yourself an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified speech beyond reproach that the opponent will not be having shamed having anything to say, bad to say about us, and she is to submit to her husband. And here in 1 Peter chapter 3, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. That sounds simple enough, not easy enough, but simple enough, but the question in everyone's mind is yes, but. What if he's an unbeliever? What if he's an immature believer? What if he is, Peter's phrase is, disobedient to the word? That can mean the word as the gospel. That can mean the written word of God too. What if my husband is unworthy of my submission? Let me say before we jump into this text, again, I feel like, I feel like a father, I feel like a grandfather. Ladies, young, younger single ladies, older single ladies, any age single lady, the greatest gift you will ever give away in your life is your submission to a man. So please, I beg you, choose carefully. My prayer for you is that none of you would ever have to specifically apply this passage in 1 Peter 3.1. Listen to the people around you. Don't make a choice of missionary dating and missionary marriage that you think he may change later. Let's look at number one. Five pictures of a godly woman's femininity. We're only going to look at number one today. She is submissive in her marriage. This is kind of part two of what we looked at in Ephesians 5 last week. 
In the same way, that's where we have to stop. In the same way what? In the same way as Jesus, listen, in the same way Jesus was honorable and submissive and holy and godly and didn't return uh, uh, insult for insult, who didn't push back, who didn't take revenge, in the same way that Jesus endured the cross, in the same way, you wives, Peter says, be submissive to your own husbands, not any man, not any husband, but your own, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, before we try to understand what Peter is saying and is not saying, we have to remember that that wider context is everyone is called to submit. Submission has become a bad word. It's not a bad word. All functions of society work on leadership and submission. And all I have to do to prove that is what I told you last week. Go out here on Mission Road, run a red light, and see if your lack of submission and your insubordination costs you anything. We all are called to submit in chapter 2, verse 13, to every human institution. So I want to bring this up again because so often the submission of a wife to her husband in in, um, uh, egalitarian circles is isolated like like this is this is the the boogeyman of Christianity that we are calling wives to submit and only wives to submit nothing could be farther from the truth every christian is in a position of submission to some authority so to for them to isolate this one and saying we're 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 really picking on women they haven't read the rest of first peter and we need to as well submission to authority is deeply a christian virtue it's a command from the lord It's not just an issue for women. In the first generation of believers, there would have undoubtedly been one spouse in a marriage relationship who would have come to Christ and the other had not, hopefully we want to say yet. So Peter is answering the question that that they obviously had. Okay, there's this woman. We, we know her. Let's use a biblical name. Her, her name is Phoebe. Okay, Phoebe is married uh, to this man, and she comes to Christ. She loves Christ. He hasn't. He's an ungodly man. He's disobedient to the word in every dimension. He's living like an unbeliever because he is one. Should she leave him? Divorce him? Separate from him? How should she handle this situation? Let me remind you, God is completely sovereign. God is good. God is omniscient and knows everything. And he cares if you find yourself in a marriage relationship with an unbeliever or an immature believer or a disobedient believer. God knows and God cares. And God is good, Psalm 119, verse 68. He is good, and he does good. How do we handle this? I love my Bible. And one of the reasons I love my Bible so much is it answers all of the yes, but questions. Well, hang on. You want me to be submissive, but what if my husband is not worthy of that submission? Peter says, I want to help you with that. Now, the word for submission here is hupotasso. It's a workhorse in the New Testament. The simple meaning is to submit to authority. 
You find this word used so many times in Luke 2.51, Jesus is hupotasso to his parents. Citizens are to be submissive, hupotasso to the government, Romans 13.1. Demons are submissive to the disciples in Luke 10.17. The universe is submissive to Christ in 1 Corinthians 15.27. The, the church is submissive to Jesus in Ephesians 5.24. Unseen heavenly authorities are submissive to Christ in 1 Peter 3.22. Believers are submissive to God in general in James 4, 7. Believers are submissive to their spiritual leaders in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and 16. Christ himself is hupotasso, is submissive to the Father in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Servants or slaves are to be submissive to their pastors, hupotasso in Titus 2, 5. And wives here are to be hupotasso to their husbands. Also in Ephesians 5, 23. So in the same way that Christians are to be submissive to the authorities that God has put over us, even, even when they fail, in the same way as Jesus was, Peter says, you, you wives be submissive, hupotasso, to your own husbands. This issue of submission is limited to a woman's husband, not to all men. It is directed and it is for us today. It's deliberate. And the problem of submission is not because godly women don't want to follow godly men. Submission is a problem because too many unworthy men have demanded that their wives be submissive to their ungodly whims. We had four weeks talking about the men. Men, we should live in a way that is worthy of our wives following submission and our headship. But what if they're not? What if the husband isn't? Now, footnote here. The principles that are used in this verse are largely an evangelistic, encouraging spiritual tool. Peter is gonna say, your submission is a tool that the Lord will use to soften the heart of your husband. I also would say that on the flip side, a godly man's loving leadership with an unbelieving wife can also be an evangelistic tool that God will use to soften the heart of his unbelieving wife. And also, the same is true of our children. My favorite parenting verse, my favorite verse of influence is Romans 2.4, which has nothing to do with, with parenting or marriage, but it's so profound when it looks at God. Rebuking the Jews, Paul says, do you not know, don't you remember that God's kindness leads us to repentance? You don't bad attitude someone into a good attitude. Godliness woos, godliness draws, godliness shepherds. Here's the context. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one, stop right there, one to what? One. One to your side, one to your argument, one to your, your debate. No, no, no. One to the Lord. Now this, this phrase disobedient to the word, it, it, there's a lot of ink spilt in commentaries about what this means. A lot of people say, this only means an unbeliever. Some say, well, it might, but it could, it could also be someone who's disobedient to the word as a, as, as a believer. 
The one side says, well, one means salvation. The other says, no, one to their rightful role. Do, do we really have to debate about that? This is a, a tool that God is giving every godly woman in any kind of relationship as the way to move your husband closer to the Lord and closer to change. And it's completely counterintuitive. Look at verse 3. Your adornment, what you're seen as, your, your beauty, must not be merely external. And we'll talk about this next week. Braiding of the hair. If you have your hair braided, don't run. It's okay. Um, wearing of gold jewelry. If you have gold jewelry, don't throw it out. If you do, I'd be glad to take it. Um, putting on dresses. If you have a dress, that's wonderful. There's a, there's a context for all this. But let it be, here it is, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet, a humble spirit. And here it is, which is precious in the sight of God. Ultimately, a woman's godliness, righteousness, pursuit of doing what's right is aimed for the recognition of the eyes of her Lord who she loves and cherishes. It's precious in his sight. But it also can have horizontal influence and effects. And again, I would pray that you single sisters would not be in need of this passage. And also would pray for you single men that you would be responsible and worthy of a, of a godly woman's submission. Proverbs 18, 21, I love it. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a blessing, but it's not the only blessing on the planet. Now, before we move on, let's be clear about Christian marital submission. I agree with Alexander Strauch, who says this. Christian marital submission does not mean that the wife is inferior that the wife is to be passive or surrender all independent thought. It does not mean that the wife is to, the husband is to stifle a wife's creativity, her gifts, or her individuality. It does not mean that the wife is to do everything the husband demands or that the husband is in any way to oppress his wife. It does not mean that the wife is to enable the husband's sin and irresponsibility. It does not mean that the wife is to live uh, in a way that's uh, a position that's psychologically dangerous or abusive to a man. I agree completely with all those footnotes. But a few more comments. It also does not mean that a woman should not pursue higher education, but that her pursuit of that higher education is always in the shadow of this wonderful statement. If the Lord gives me a husband and children, that is my highest privilege and highest calling. And I would be willing to set anything and everything aside to do that. It doesn't mean that a wife obeys her husband like a child obeys his or her parent. My wife and I, many years ago, were, were counseling a couple. And I was, was shocked. I was horrified. My wife and I had trouble sleeping this night and debriefing about this counseling uh, situation that we had. They were sitting on our couch. And we, we came to find out 
that the wife at that time had been grounded. She says, well, I can't, I can't do that. I'm grounded. And I'd never heard that from a grown woman who was a wife who had grown children. And so we simply said, grounded from what? And who, who grounded you? And the husband chimed in and says, well, she deserved it and I grounded her. I know that being pugnacious is not a godly virtue. That means one who is prone to swat the face, literally in the Greek. But I was close to pugnacious right then. You grounded your wife? And um, we had a few things to say that night. That's not what this is about. And I don't think I could ground my wife anyway. (laughs) It also doesn't mean that the husband is smarter than his wife. Spoiler alert, I married a woman smarter than me. Or more spiritual than his wife. Spoiler alert, my wife is the godliest human I've ever met on the planet. Or he's always right over this his wife. Plug your ears, Kim. Oftentimes when we have disagreements, she's right. And I've said last week, when we disagree and in the end, she tells me that she will gladly submit to me and leave my decision between me and God That's hard. Now, in order to understand what this means and what it doesn't mean, there's so many footnotes. Look down for a moment at how Peter ends this section. In 1 Peter 3, verse 9, to sum up, this to sum up his discussion about submission, both to those who are in authority and those who submit, he sums it up. He says, all of you, those who are in positions of authority, those who are in positions of submission, of subordination, all of you be harmonious, work together. It's a music term that means you don't have chords that sound terrible, that are dissonant. You work together, you're harmonious, you're sympathetic, you understand the plight of one another's roles. You're brotherly, that means you look to each other as a spiritual sibling with whom you may spend eternity with. In chapter one, chapter three, verse one, you could win them to Christ. And humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Wow, would marriage change on that principle? When someone starts an argument, say, you know, before you finish that, can I just tell you some things about your life that bless me? It's really hard to argue with someone who would do that. You were called for this purpose, this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. If you go back up, that inheritance also is a fellow heir of the grace of life in verse seven that you enjoy with your spouse. This is wonderful premarital and marriage counseling for any couple. Within a relationship, godly principles come to bear. Justice, fairness, love, kindness, compassion, care, sensitivity, selflessness, service. And men, let me remind you, God did not give us a wife to have, he gave us a wife to serve. I know there's a lot of yes, hang on, but questions. And we would be here for weeks to answer as many as we possibly could dream up. 
But here's a few things I want you to remember. Uh, if you're especially, I mean, I was praying all week with some of some specific names in mind of of wonderful women in our church who have a godly life who are called into a submissive relationship with a difficult man in a difficult marriage. Even to say that, I pray to God I'm never that guy. I, I shared a few years ago the story of my wife asking me to. My, I had a secretary named Karen at the time. She was amazing at finding out-of-print books. I mean, like, scary. Uh, I need you to find this. I've been looking for it for a week. And I would go back to my office, sit down, and she'd ring and say, I found it. It was that, that good. So we're driving in on a Sunday night, Grace Community Church. We're, we're uh, parking the car. The kids are in the back. They're getting their stuff for church. And, and she's gathering things up, and she says, honey, would you have Karen try to find a book for me tomorrow that's out of print? I said, sure. I said, what's the title? And she said, Marriage to a Difficult Man. <laughs> and I just wilted. I melted. I mean, I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. My, my marriage is over. My ministry is done. My kids are going to, what am I? I, mean, I, I had a thousand thoughts at one time, and I, and I just... I just buried my face in my hands. I'm like, what? I, I and finally, she looks at me, she says, what's wrong? I said, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that you needed books to know how to live with me. Am I, when, when, when did you discover I was a difficult man? And she looks at me and in a godly way said, you don't know that that's a biography of Jonathan Edwards' wife, Sarah Edwards. And I said, just testing you. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I was crushed. So men, let's not be someone difficult to be married to. But let me give you some principles if you are in a marriage, man or woman, that could help. First of all, it involves, let me speak specifically to our Wives, submission to an ungodly man involves discernment and wisdom. Number one, it involves discernment and it involves wisdom. What do you mean? You don't submit to everything. You don't submit to sin. And if, if, if his, if his um, leadership is erring on being domineering or authoritative, talk to someone in the church and let us counsel, let us help. You don't submit to sin. You use wisdom and discernment to know what the submission parameters are, and they are there regarding sin. If there's abuse, talk to us. Let us shepherd and care for you in that. Number two, it involves discussion and appeal. Submission involves, even with an unbeliever, it involves discussion and appeal. You can appeal to him and talk to him. You can have the church at your disposal for wisdom. You can always say, honey, can you help me understand? And I want to follow that but, but, and ask questions. Appealing and discussion does not mean you're being unsubmissive or insubordinate. But in the end, as I said, unless it's sin, God's word says... Follow his headship and trust him. Later, we'll see next week, without being frightened by any fear. Thirdly, it involves self-denial and humility. No matter where, where you are uh, in, in a relationship with your husband, humility 
and self-denial are at the cutting edge of submission. It's hard. It's hard. (laughs) No one likes to submit or we might not be plunged into a sinless humanity because ultimately Adam and Eve were insubordinate in the very first sin. It does involve self-denial and humility. And what's one of the leading factors of the gospel? If any man wishes to follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself and follow me, Matthew 16 says. Number four, it involves patience and understanding. It involves patience and understanding. A wife must be careful turning her marriage into an idol. This is for those who are married and those who are unmarried. Let me say again, single men and women, lest you step on the edge of compromise, let me tell you from thousands of conversations, it's better to be alone than to be miserable. Patience and understanding. Watch your idols. I'll never be happy unless he becomes a Christian. I'll never be happy unless he leads me like I want to. I wish I had a marriage like so-and-so. Those are idols. Number five, it involves godliness and righteousness. I'm gonna save this for next week, but a gentle and quiet spirit, chaste behavior, respectable behavior. There are things about a wife's attitude and actions that can actually show her righteousness and her godliness in a way that becomes influential and leading without a word. Number six, it involves theology and perspective. It involves theology and perspective. How many times do we say it? Your theology is the connective tissue of your thinking and of your life. What you believe is true about God, what you believe is true that the Bible says, how you collate those, those data points to know, have a worldview that sees God's way of looking at your life in this world, that is the most important thing to sustain you in any difficulty. It's exactly what Jesus, uh, Peter says that Jesus did in his own suffering. How did he do that? He kept entrusting himself to him Verse 23, who judges righteously. They may win and unrighteousness may prevail in this world, on this planet, but I know to turn everyone over to the God who judges righteously. He will right all wrongs in his way and in his time. Back up to the verse, verse one. That they... These disobedient men who are disobedient to the word, either as unbelievers or disobedient in their walks, may be one, oh, look at the phrase, without a word, without a debate, without an argument, without winning. Does this mean that you never have a disagreement? Of course not. What does he mean? We don't have to guess because the last phrase tells us. By the behavior of their wives. Godly, living, righteous standards and values and loving, trusting submission 
are louder than any word you could ever utter. I told you earlier that we're always under surveillance. If you have a difficult marriage, you're under surveillance from your husband. And the way you act and the way you think and the way you respond and the way you plan and the way you deliberate and the way you discuss and the way you appeal have immeasurable influential points with your husband. I'm thinking because I'm on page, I got four more pages, but we're not gonna get to it. Um, So the transition is supposed to be to the Lord's table. <laughs> I, uh, I want to confess, this series has been really hard in a, in a good way for me. There's no, it just doesn't seem to be lines on the field. You know, and, and all of these are really public counseling moments for us all. So it is a good place when we're looking at, as, no matter your, your station or position, as godly husbands, Am I a man worthy of following? Am I making it hard for my wife to submit? How about that, men? As we go into the Lord's table, are we men who make it easy or difficult for our wives to follow our headship and our leadership? It's a time that you can purpose to to be that kind of man better this afternoon than this morning. If you're not married, if you're a single man, Are you developing the kind of convictions and theology and leadership in your own life that a woman would be attracted to because she sees Christ's likeness? As wives, if you're in a difficult marriage situation, do you see that God has given you the possibility, I love it, to be precious in his Sight at the end of verse four by how you submit and follow, how you love and care for. Even if you're in a marriage with someone who's not growing like you wish, can you win him by your growth and your love? And then single women, let me just ask again, please, don't let your emotions get ahead of your convictions or your values. I've heard it said that a woman's virginity is the greatest gift she can give away. That's not true. It's your submission because that's what you're gonna live with every single day. So choose wisely, as wisely as you can.